Hey guys, if you like listening to us, um, you can follow us on Twitter or email us. Follow us on Twitter at writer, W-R-T-R, bagel, B-A-G-E-L, basket, B-S-K-T, on Twitter, or email us, writersbagelbasket at gmail.com. We want to hear from you. We want to know what you want to do. Submit fan art. Submit a logo. Do anything, because we want to hear from you. And if you have show suggestions, email them. In a world where Don Bluth is killing your favorite dinosaurs, and Don Bluth is also killing your favorite dogs, now Don Bluth will kill planet Earth in Titan A.E. This summer's Flopbuster, starring Matt Damon at the height of his career, Bill Pullman at the downfall of his, and Drew Barrymore is just happy to be here. Titan A.E in the basket the writer's bagel basket i'm in over my head tear me apart lisa you want to be a farmer here's a couple of acres sorry jeff you lose to professor plow i said plow the men you seek think you are dead chemotherapy for the start of the Bernoulli Convergenator. If he puts a car in fifth gear, he can jumpstart the whole thing. We don't have to be mean. Because, remember, no matter where you go, there you are. Hi, welcome to Writer's Bagel Basket. I am Scott Kerland, and Summer Flopbuster continues with two co-hosts this week. And these guys are guys who have been on the podcast many times before. Why don't you introduce yourself? Starting with... Hi, I'm Cole. I'm a film student. Cole is my brother-in-law. And... Hi, I'm Lee. I host a podcast called Jukebox Zeros, and this is the first time we're recording today. Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so, so, if you're new to Writer's Bagel Basket, we have gotten a whole bunch of new listeners. Welcome, guys. So, we listen to... Uh, we watch, and then we talk about your listening. We're talking about nostalgic stuff. We're talking about stuff that we can't even believe got made because either it was so terrible or it was so good because Hollywood doesn't normally make good stuff. So this entire summer, we've been doing summer flopbusters. And this one, this one, I think, is could have been our Everest. <laughs> so we did, I thought, I thought Waterworld was going to be, you know, really hard to get through. This one is Titan A.E. And Titan A.E. was Don Bluth's final film. And, Lee, you've never seen Titan A.E., right? No, today was the first time that I had seen Titan A.E. I pretty much only knew it as, like, one of those culty animated films that just had, like, a really big following. Like, but, I mean, if you think about it, so many of those films, like, not all cult animated films are good. Like, go back and watch The Black Cauldron. It's not a good film. No, it's not. And Lee... And yet it's still got, like, this big following in, like, really dark circles of the internet. Just like this movie. And Lee, on your podcast, you do... uh, You do a little write-up of it. So we're doing write-ups all summer, inspired by you. (coughs) I stole from you. As as I always say, but it's I didn't. That's I, can, right. I, can, I can do whatever I want. And I, I have no, made, no, I can do whatever I want. Mike. I have made no effort to steal it back. No, no, I, I'm going to do what I want. Okay? <laughs> okay, okay. Are you okay with that, Cole? 
Yeah. Get me out of this. <laughs> no, you're going to stay in. So, uh, here's a little backstory. Lee, if you will, I want to hear your dulcet tones. Very well. Me, 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 me. You know what films kids love? Films made by Don Bluth. You know what teens hate? Films made by Don Bluth. Titan AE is one such Don Bluth film. It was his final film before he was sent into animation exile. Made for a budget of $75 million, which proved to be much higher in the high $90 million or $100 million range, uh, after toy manufacturing and advertising, Titan AE was supposed to be Fox's big tentpole movie for the year 2000, but the film was a disaster. After several script rewrites from Joss Whedon, Ben Edlund of The Tick, and Oscar-nominated writer John August working together, what we ended up instead was a knockoff of Firefly. Don Bluth was dying for a hit after failures like The Pebble and the Penguin and A Troll in South Central. <laughs> a Troll in Central Park. <laughs> I knew you were going to do that. <laughs> it's still funny. Anyway... Titan AE was his last hope combining traditional hand animation and CGI to hop onto the Pixar bandwagon. And yet Fox couldn't make it work, so they tried to mask the film's shortcoming with big-name actors like Matt Damon and Drew Barrymore. Barrymore herself was so ashamed of her performance that at her hasty pudding induction at Harvard University, she openly denounced the film. The biggest problem was Fox trying to shove a soundtrack down the throats of tweens and teens with bands like Paramount 5000, Lit, Lucius Jackson, and of course that timeless classic band, Fun Lovin' Criminals. The guys behind Scooby Snacks. Remember that song? Yeah? No. No? Yeah? No? Okay. No. Titan AE debuted on June 16th, 2000, the same day as the remake of Shaft and a week after Gone in 60 Seconds, only to tank days later when DreamWorks would release Chicken Run. Uh, Titan AE was met with mixed reviews but received praise and two thumbs up from Roger Ebert and Richard Roper on Ebert and Roper at the movies. So, who wants to talk about Titan AE, the final nail in Don Bluth's coffin? He's, he's still alive, right? He's, mm -hmm. still, he's still alive. Um, apparently he started a Kickstarter to make a Dragon's Lair, the movie. Oh yeah, I remember seeing that at some point. Did that ever come to fruition? Nope. <laughs> he's still trying to make it. <laughs> Poor Don Bluth. Still climbing. Oh, Still climbing that mountain. That's a shame. Cole, what did you think? <laughs> At, as, as a college-age person, because you, you were very young when this movie came out. So actually, when I was young, uh, my mom would take me and my sister to the video store all the time to you know look for movies to watch uh, at the end of the week. And when we're walking through the aisles, this is one of the movies that I always stopped at and looked because the cover looked really cool. It said Titan A and had a massive explosions. Well, the poster is cool. That's the poster. It is. It it's it's <clears throat> not terrible. I mean, the animation style tried to be like a combination of Don Bluth and anime, and it it just it it failed. It wasn't enough to convince a young me to pick it up. Uh, I was always convinced by your wife, my sister, to get something else. Yeah, uh, and you always went with a movie that we're probably going to be doing later. Oh, yeah, I watched one movie in particular way too much. Um, no spoilers on that, though. <laughs> and, and Lee, you looked like you were about to go crazy the entire time. Yes, today was the first time that I have ever seen Titan A.E., I didn't know about it beyond that it was like uh, 
that it was like a cult film of sorts. Did I did I already say this? Yes, did, you did. <laughs> that's pretty much all I knew about it. I mean, and are you going crazy? I wouldn't say I wouldn't say that I hate this movie. I definitely wouldn't say that I like this movie. You nothing this movie because everything is just. There, I have so many questions. Well, okay, so... And not not even because the movie is weird. Just everything around the movie is nonsensical and weird, and no one seems to notice. I mean, they do... Okay, they do a ton of Don Bluth tropes, where, where Don Bluth always does the... You have the one protagonist, usually a male, and he has a cute manic pixie dream girl with him. Like, Drew Barrymore's Akima... She is totally a manic pixie dream girl. She's got... In space. In space. Like, like when when I was like 12 years old, 13 years old, I was like, oh man, Akima's cute. And now I'm like, what? Why is everyone looking at me? You know, you, you mentioned Don Bluth tropes, but I just realized this when I was reading the uh, opening thing when I got to the cast. Uh, the one Don Bluth trope that wasn't there, Dom DeLuise... No Dom DeLuise in this film, I just realized. Oh, that's right. <clears throat> like, Wait, wait, Dom, Dom DeLuise wasn't in Anastasia either. Was that? That wasn't a Don Bluth film, was yes, it? Yes, it was. Mm-hmm. It was? It was huh. Dom Bluth did that before Oh. he did this one. Because he had, so, he had, like, a five-picture deal with um, Fox, and he the first one he did was Ferngully, and that did really well. You, you know what it was? That one wasn't an Amblin film. Like, every single Don Bluth film that he did with Amblin has Dom DeLuise in it. Right. But though, but Anastasia isn't an Amblin film, so that's what confused me. I mean, so, so this was supposed to be the fourth in his five-picture deal, and this one got him out of his contract. Like, And he didn't want out. They were just like, this did so bad, because they wasted... They were they were done with him. They he wasted almost a hundred million dollars. I just want to make movies, please. <laughs> Don, get out. No. Don, your wife called. She's divorcing you. So what? Oh, Don, and, your Dom DeLuise called. He's divorcing you too. And uh, Burt Reynolds wants his money back. <laughs> yeah. I'd so does Charlie it. Sheen. Oh yeah, I I totally I always forget that Charlie B. Barkin. Uh, he was in uh, the the sequel, right? Yeah, Instead but the, of Burt Reynolds. but the character's name in All Dogs Go to Heaven is Charlie B. Barkin. <laughs> oh boy! And a hush falls over the crowd. But Don Bluth is a very talented storyteller and animator and director. Like, I mean, this movie had some good ideas, but this was also at the same time that that Disney was making Atlantis and Treasure Planet. Two very similar films in addition to this. Like mm, that's true. Clearly better choices. I would I wouldn't necessarily say all of the ideas and like art direction in this film was good. There was lots of good one. I wouldn't say all of it was good, but all of it was definitely interesting and a lot different than everything else that was going on at the time. Well, okay, there is one Don Bluth trope that is in here. You have Tone Loke. Tone Loke, this is the second time he's been on this podcast, because he was on for Bebe's Kids. And here he... I forgot about that episode. Here he is, <laughs> here he is not as, as Tone Loki. He plays the sluggish character, like half human, half slug. Well, he's only in the movie for like ten minutes. Yeah, he's the surrogate father to, to Matt Damon's character, Kale. So, 
I'm just going to do a quick synopsis. All right, Cole, do you want to do a quick synopsis? And then we'll just get into the crazy stuff, because I don't think we should pick this apart bit by bit. I don't think we can. All right. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Dick. <laughs> uh, we open up with a young Kale. Who I is... said a quick synopsis. Honestly, this is... Fine, Matt Damon's character is a kid named Kale. Dad's a scientist who's trying to save the human race. Human race is threatened by an alien species called the Dredge who want to blow them up because they fear that they're going to come to power. Um, so planet Earth is blown up. Uh, Matt Damon's character, Kale, is, uh, becomes a rebellious young man uh, who disobeys authority because humans in this universe are... Yeah, he's Han Solo. Yeah. Because the 90s, even though it was 2000. <laughs> uh, humans get the short end of the stick. And then we find out that, oh no, your dad left you that ring when you were a kid, and it's a map to this project that he made, Titan. Uh, he has a map in his hand. He has a goddamn map in his hand. Only activated by a ring. <laughs> yeah, that, that what's his name, that Bill Paxton, I mean Bill Pullman. Pullman. Bill Murray? <laughs> he clearly, like... Like, you could tell that they wanted Bill Paxton for this movie. Yes. The design, he looks like Bill Paxton from Aliens, like a, a hybrid of Alec Baldwin and Bill yeah, Paxton. Yeah, you mentioned he looked like Alec Baldwin, too. Yeah, and, and like and the... Alec Baldwin was instead doing Cats and Dogs. Well, Cats and Dogs and also Final Fantasy, The Spirits yeah. Within. Yeah, because oh, why, wow. why leave all this? Yes. Your kingdom, Alec Baldwin. <laughs> this is your legacy. Look, Own it. Look upon thee. And, and so... Bill Bill Pullman here is doing like he's doing a weird Alec Baldwin voice. He's like, "Ah, oh, kid, you can't anime, Like, like he's he's chewing he's chewing his words and he's just drudging through it. Like this was the end of Bill Pullman's career. Like, cause he had he had done uh, while you were sleeping. He did. Oh, I almost said Beetlejuice, but that's Alec Baldwin. Uh, he did Independence Day. He did Casper. Like. Bill Pullman was on his way out, and this was, like, one of his last big movies. Has he done, like, anything big in movies or TV since? Independence Day Resurgence. Where he's playing, he's playing Randy Quaid. What? Isn't his character, like, now Randy Quaid-ish? Oh, he's, like, old, I guess. And, like, crazy? Yeah, they kind of keep him in a room. (laughs) (laughs) He was the president, right? Yeah, aliens. Now he's the president of the room. You're tearing me apart, Lisa. <laughs> but Bill Pullman, like, the, the voice cast is impressive. And it is. You have Matt Damon, you have Drew Barrymore, you have Bill Pullman, you have John Leguizamo, Nathan Lane, Janine, Janine Garofalo as Space Daria. Or your what? Ah, the lovely and talented stiff. This is Kale. You remember Kale? No, 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 Cannot talk. We lost targeting on one of our aft gun turrets again. What? Think this is a pleasure cruise? She's a sweet little thing. Weapons specialist. And Tone Loke. Don't forget Tone Loke. Oh, and who do they waste in a cameo that gets shot in the head? Jim Brewer. Doesn't even get shot in the head. His entire body gets vaporized. Is that really waste, though? Well, that's about as much as I could expect from Jim Brewer. Well, this okay. So this was like right after Half Baked Jim Brewer. So he should have been like this was SNL Goat Boy Jim Brewer. 
he was like just leaving SNL and everyone thought he was going to be huge and now he's doing bit parts and in a bad Don Bluth cartoon movie. Yeah. It's peak Jim Brewer, but it's not really peak. Uh peak for Jim Brewer. So Matt Damon in this movie, he I I always thought he was cool when I when I was a kid, like I I hate to admit this, but this movie came out when I was like 12 years old or I had the action figures. <laughs> I had his action figure, I should say. I'm ashamed to admit that. But watching it again, this kid is a dick. Yeah, he he sucks. Like, he has a line... He's an unlikable twat. He he has a line where he's like, well, you know what I'm going to do if I don't want to? I'm going to leave. Like, you're supposed to be helping the Earth. He also, um, uh, since humans are treated as, like, second or third class citizens... They're slaves. Slaves, pretty much. Actually, no, they are slaves. They're slaves. Um... Uh, he basically, there's a scene where they're going for line for food, and he straight up abandons and calls the other humans losers so he can just get a fast track to food. He abandons he, them. Yeah, and, like, they should beat him up. They should be like, you're an asshole. But but they're like, oh, that didn't work for you, Kale. I would have smashed his, like, helmet and just, like, yeah, watched the cold, dark space Because he's out in space. Yeah. Like, nope. This is your protagonist, a guy where they just lean into the 90s, I'm too cool for school trope way too hard they, okay they they treat space like it's like being outside in fresh air like they're in spacesuits, but but the way they just they're not worried that they're gonna run out of oxygen they're not worried that that like you know the cold vacuum of space could suck them up and yeah they're they're out in space without spacesuits at one point and yeah. they don't explode bill pullman's just like exhale no no that's, that's not that that's not good enough but but we didn't have that problem in in um, Guardians of the Galaxy. That's but, because he was space Jesus. <laughs> he may have been your son, he may have been your father, but he wasn't your daddy boy. <laughs> before before we get off of uh, the whole humans are slaves thing, uh, there's one like and, I, and actually getting back to tropes, there's this one trope that it's very subtle throughout the film, but. I could still detect it, and I absolutely hate when this trope pops up in sci-fi films. It's that trope of, like, human exceptionalism. It's like, the humans are the only hope for the galaxy because, yeah, we're humans. We're, like, all the other... Like, any time that... It's a sci-fi film, but humans are clearly the best. Anytime there's an alien or someone like that, they're either like, oh, they're, they're out to get us, or they have no character whatsoever it's that's that's why i was really shocked when when johnny legs john leguizamo as a character named goon uh ends up at the like towards the end of the movie ends up like doing something incredibly heroic mm. yeah like he he ends up uh kind of exploding himself <laughs> like like he sacrifices himself but he doesn't die because this is where where it's weird it's weird um Don Bluth trope where someone gets hurt but but they don't die he he explodes and he's this weird what turtle frog thingy Basically. yeah it was like a turtley thing and he's just doing his Toulouse Lautrec voice from Moulin Rouge like he's just doing that whole <gasps> oh no kale I finished my nap That's his voice. It's so annoying. 
His his design kind of reminded me of that. Uh, what's his What's his face from Treasure Plant? Not Treasure Planet. Uh, Atlantis. Uh, the mole guy was voiced oh. by Corey Burton. Oh, I know who you're talking. Was he like about. literally called like Moliere or Moliere. something? Moliere. Like, oh, yeah, that's that's not dumb. Don't but, like it. <laughs> I mean, I didn't I didn't think that when I saw his design the first time. All I could think of is. Mr. Turtle, how many licks does it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop? I'm done with my nap. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you bastard. <laughs> I mean, but yeah, like, there's like, I mean, you could probably like detect if you really pay attention to it, that whole sort of thing of like, we're the humans, they're best, they can save the universe. It'd screw everyone else. We're awful. Like, like, we... <sighs> Like, the, look at look at Earth. That I mean, current yeah, Earth. The, the this vil- the this vil- is the best we could do. The, the villains are called the Dredge, and they're pure energy. They're, you compared them to the Borg. Well, that's the whole vibe I got from them, because they don't strike me as, like, a species that has, like, a home world or a government or an economy or anything. They're like a hive mind, like the Borg. And yet... They're apparently, like, giving, like, paying people to do things. I don't... How, where, how, they don't have money. They don't seem like they would have money. They're like, they're they're like bees. They're beings of like composed of pure energy, and they're the most boring thing to look at and like hear about or to see on screen. They look like computer chips. Yeah, I think I remarked at one point that every time they were on screen, because they're like, th- like in this hybrid of traditional animation and CGI, they're CGI to the nth degree. And I remarked at one point that the cartoon reboot looks more realistic and smooth than that. Well, okay, that's one thing that Roger Ebert brought up. He's like, the CGI in this movie is incredible. And I understand you reviewed this in 2000. (laughs) (laughs) But the CGI is shit. Yeah, that banner year for CGI. So so the the one scene when when they're they're in the the ice caves and they're going back and forth, I said that I'm gonna tell you guys something that's gonna piss you off. They used that scene, and someone can find this and, and tweet at us, because I couldn't find it anywhere, but they used this as a Coca-Cola commercial. Like, like they had the characters, and they're like, oh, man, I'm really thirsty. What? Yeah, and they're like, where's the Coke? There's one. There's, <laughs> Where, no, it's over the there. Coke? Yeah. <laughs> or, or it was Pepsi or something like that. Oh, my God. Yeah. Th- that is garbage. Th- they did it as a soda commercial, and... <laughs> Like the the times that they tried, they tried too late. I think I think they couldn't get like Burger King or McDonald's to to be the sponsor for the toy. They they got Taco Bell. Yeah. Oh, we're in space. Where's the Chalupas? They do bring up at one point when they're docking in New Bangkok. Oh right, they're they mentioned frozen burritos. Yeah. Yeah, New Bangkok. Yeah. It was Taco Bell though, not Amy's <laughs> Organic. New Bangkok. Which really, considering the grade of this film, I wouldn't be surprised if it was like, we're sponsored by Amy's Organic. Well, I hate when they do that thing when they're like, well, Amy's Organic didn't exist in 2000. Like, it didn't? No, I don't think so. Okay. No, but th- this is one trope that, that I hate is when they want to do like a new thing, new Earth, new 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 Bangkok. They're not even trying. Yeah, that's that's pretty, a little on the nose, don't One you night think? in new Bangkok. <laughs> New Bangkok, Oriental setting. It seems like at a lot of points in this movie they didn't try because most of the aliens kind of look similar. 
They have the same mammal-esque design. There's like a couple that have yeah. like weird eyes and stuff. Lo- but lots of aliens with beaks. Yeah. Well, well, one thing is is they stole a ton from Joss Whedon, who was one of the screenwriters. Him and Bet- Ben Etlin were working on Firefly at this time because Firefly came out in 2001. They were filming the pilot. But the inside of the ship and the characters are very, 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 very much like the characters from Firefly. Like, like the captain at one point when, when he meets Kale looks exactly like Mal. He's got the red jacket on, he's got the tight pants, and he's got the holster on the side. And she looks like Kaylee. Or, is, that, is that Joel State's character's name? I believe. I, I, don't, I don't know anything about Firefly. Are you talking about the ship's mechanic, the female one? Yeah. Yes. She eats strawberries. Yeah, Kaylee. <laughs> is that her name? Yeah. Uh, yeah, Kaylee. Um, yeah, she she looks like her. Like I mean, now that you mention it, Janine Garofalo's character also did kind of remind me a little bit of. I mean, I've only seen a few episodes. Zoe. Louis? No, not Zoe. Uh, actually, Adam Baldwin's character, the guy with the toque. Oh, uh, Adam. Oh, Jane. Well, Jane. Well, yeah. Uh, her a little bit. But maybe it's because she like never smiles in the film. Well, Nathan once. Nathan Lane's character reminded me a ton of Jane. I mean, not Nathan Lane. Nathan Lane's character, by oh, oh yeah. yeah, yeah, cool, yeah. He has like the tank top kind of. But he also turns on them. Yes, that's a. Yeah, what's his character's name? Jeeps. Preed. Preed. Yeah, Preed. Oh, Preedy bird. Right so yeah. Oh, okay. By so, the way, uh, Preed, Nathan Lane's character. The only interesting character in the entire film. I like Goon. I like John Leguizamo's character. I quite. mean, Goon was okay, but every time Preed was on screen okay. was the only time jo- it was John like, Leguizamo's okay. character pointed out something that you fixated on the whole movie. Because on Kale's hand was his lunch. Oh, here we go. And it turned out to be space feces. <laughs> Spaghetti and meatballs and space feces, to be precise. Yeah. Which means Matt Damon's character was eating poop. He ate poop. Matt Matt Damon's character. You're looking at me like I'm crazy, but he was no, clearly no, eating poop. No, he's not crazy because you got to remember Matt Damon's on that whole fresh water. He's not going to use clean water until everyone has clean drinking water. <laughs> so he, when he did the ice bucket challenge, he used the back of of a toilet, like the water, not in the toilet, but the the stuff that refills the toilet. He oh. used that water to just use water, man. <laughs> No. <laughs> I need to food. eat poop. Poop. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But as Don Bluth movies go, this one isn't the worst. I would say like a oh, troll. Oh, heavens no. Yeah. Pebble and the Penguin, Troll in Central Park. Like, those, those ones are bad. Like, like any anyone that had Tim Curry as a villain in it was probably a bad one. <laughs> like Tim Curry you- or Charles Nelson Riley. Oh, hello. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> well, what if he? What if Charles Nelson Riley was still alive and he was the voice of Preed? If he was Nathan, like, <laughs> I'm turning on you, Captain. <laughs> it made me sad. Uh, spoiler: Preed is a, a traitor, and he gets his neck broken. Oh man, it's so graphic. Like, like the way they do it is like. I was sad. It looked like a dog being put down. <laughs> Hide and seek, is it? Or should we play Search and Destroy? Three! Give me the ring. You're not gonna shoot me, kid. 
Like yeah, his I mean, stung, he, his he tongue looked sticks like a dog out, too. and he's like, Ur. I mean, I know he's not a dog, but he has that snout kind of thing. Yeah, and he has like a dog's tongue. And he fell down the stairs like a guy made out of spaghetti. <laughs> it it it's upsetting. So tall and lanky. Okay, so when they do the trope of of Bill Pullman, stop! I can't not say Bill Paxton. Bill Pullman turning on them. Paxton. Like, when they do it, it's so obvious, like what's happening, because they're like, "Hey, is that the captain talking?" And like you just hear, "Yeah, you weren't supposed to kidnap Kale. I have him." Like, Again, they're paying the captain money. They're they're a collective hive mind with no will of their own, and they're paying people. It's, it's dumb. I mean, it was the early aughts. It was the aughts. It was two thousand. This came out in two thousand, and. The movies that destroyed this at the box office were like, I think Fantasia 2000 did a tiny bit better than this did. I saw this in theaters, but this was, I saw this, I saw Mission Impossible 2, Big Mama's House. Don't judge me. <laughs> the only one that I didn't see is the movie that beat this at the box office. I didn't see Chicken Run in theaters. Mm, I guess it's harder to be angry at just really nice animation set to classical music as opposed to this thing, where there's plot holes like every X amount of seconds. Well, I saw Fantasia 2000 on IMAX. We we went to the IMAX to see that. Oh, that must have been fun. That was great. Penn Jillette, 12 feet high. <laughs> and Steve Martin. <laughs> no, but, and then, like, the next day, my dad and I saw this, and we were like, huh, this was fun. <laughs> but, like, when, when, I was, when I was 12, and I would go to these movies... I thought everything was great. I thought that Mission Impossible 2 was great. So so my, my standard was very low. Watching this again, I'm, I'm a little disappointed. And now I own it. So Especially um, Bill Pullman's character, Corso, is the friend of uh, Matt Damon's father in the movie. Uh, I don't, did they ever once mention Kale's dad's name? Kalen. Wow. So um, wait, his dad's name was Kalen... And his kid's name is Kale. Kale. Yes. No. I'm and not who a plays fan his dad? Ron, Ron Perlman. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ron Perlman plays him. And are we but, to believe that Bill Pullman killed his dad? You never find him. Uh, right. But but he's like, yeah, I was with your dad. So I'm starting to think that Bill Pullman's dad. Uh, Bill Pullman's dad. <laughs> Bill Pullman killed Kale's dad. Bill Pullman's dad is Ron Perlman. <laughs> yeah, because when we get onto the Titan, which uh, is a massive planet terraformer, which is going to rebuild Earth, which is the the big reveal here. No, it's not. No, <laughs> not. I mean, okay, I, I still liked when we were watching it, and they're like, wow, there's dolphins, and there's mosquitoes, and ooh, unicorns, crush. Oops. Oh, no. A couple of the stray shots definitely probably killed some of those animals. <laughs> yeah, bad bad place to be having a gunfight at the climax of the film. Yeah. Well, yeah. Bam, there go the mosquitoes. Bam, there go ticks and leeches. All of this so, DNA. So far, not so bad. Oh, there goes the cure for, you know, cancer, AIDS, and every disease known yeah. to man. Yes, there goes the DNA for the cure for cancer. <laughs> <laughs> Get out of my house. <laughs> you can't... <What>? <laughs> You, you come and you, you, you no, invited no, no, me. You no, invited me no, here. No, no, you come on you're, my you're podcast. No, can again. I just, you always do that. Just, no, no, can you come what, on my what, podcast what is, and then you guys? You're, you're making no. me out to be a fool. <laughs> and we're back. <laughs> Third time we've done that joke and it's still funny. <laughs> and it never gets old. But, but it never will. 
Um, but they're killing all of these these things in the stupid gunfight. Like Bill Pullman. Ooh, I got it right there. Bill Pullman <laughs> has them cornered, and then he loses his footing because Nathan Lane turns on him. Like. It doesn't make sense. Like, we're, we're skipping to the end because the stuff that happens in the middle, this could have been, like, a short pilot for, for a TV series. Yeah, every, everything that happens in between is completely superfluous now that you mention it. But I feel like, at the same time, that's... I mean, we're pretty much going at the exact same pace as the movie went, too. Because the movie was way 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 too fast paced it moves like a bullet train it yeah does. the movie's the movie's 95 minutes long but it feels so fast like like so the entire plot of the movie like if you're going through plot points it's kale as a little boy who's played by alex d Linz, who this was his second time playing the young version of the main character he did tarzan the year before he was young tarzan and disney's tarzan which that's a film that I despise. <laughs> like, um, so yet the, the the why are you laughing? Not a fan of Brian Blessed. Oh no, it's just uh. Hello, Scott. Why didn't you like my movie where I shot the apes? Brian, you're only here because Patrick Stewart said no. I heard there were cookies. Get out of my home, Brian Blessed. Okay, I'm going. Your wife and I used to I watch Tarzan a lot as a child. I I still can't stand Phil to... Collins. <laughs> I'm a Peter Gabriel guy. Me too, actually. Yeah, Peter Gabriel all the way, and the, the... Both, both as a solo act and when he was in Genesis. Me too. Yeah, I love when he's the wizard. Um, but but this movie, so so you can break it down to young Alex Dillon's Kale. Gets abandoned by his father. He's like, come on, Dad, let's get on the ship. And he's like, don't worry, Kale, I'm going someplace else. Are you going to ever come back for me? He's like, you know I will. No, he won't. Yeah, he's he's not. Mysteriously killed off screen. But as you said, kind of seems like Bill Pullman's character probably killed him. Yeah. I, I just thought of something really terrible. Go like, on. Like, at the end of the film, when the Earth is re-terraformed and everything is put neatly back into places like a puzzle... Like, I just know that as it pans out on Kale, like, Kale just turns to what's-her-face, Akima, and just says, So if everything's back to normal, that means my dad's back too, right? Um, yeah, let's go find him. I want to see my dad again. <laughs> you sure are, buddy. <laughs> Akima in this movie. So, you were, were both of you offended that, that it was Drew Barrymore playing? Like, th- yeah. Th- Drew, Drew Barrymore, a white woman playing an Asian woman, no, not a fan. Well, they could have got Ming now. They it, could have got Lucy Liu. Wing. Is it? How did you? Are you are you talking about the woman who voiced Mo- uh, Melinda May? Yeah, uh, it's Mulan. Was that the voice actress for Mulan? Yeah. Yeah, they could have. I they mean, they could have got her, Lucy Liu. Put, they put they could have put a little bit of effort in, gotten one of them, Lucy well, Liu. Was was Sandra Oh working at the time? Um. Probably, or, yeah. Just, just yeah, because th- this digging. was like two years before uh, Sideways, so she had to be. Yeah, just just do a little digging, Hollywood. You can you can find, you can find culturally appropriate actors and actresses. Um, but I this is what my problem with the film. My biggest problem is how easily. Yeah, 
Ming Na Wen. <laughs> Ming Na Wen. How easily everyone can go from one side to the other. It's like I'm bad now, but okay, I'm going to be good in a few minutes, and I'm going to sacrifice myself. Like no, no one ever questions it either. Yeah, and and the chemistry of the characters of Akima and Kale. I say this every time, but they have no chemistry. They could have been cousins up there. Like, it it's it's not fun watching them bicker than love each other. And then that kind of ties into the whole point about the movie being way too fast paced too. Because at one point it's just like, oh, they they don't get along, and then all of a sudden in the next scene they're embracing and kissing and stuff like that. Well, also two wh- minutes later. <laughs> what about all the nudity in like a kids' film? Oh yeah, you see Kale's butt, and you see um, almost Akima when she's getting out of the shower. Yeah, she's getting out of the shower, and, and and she's pretty naked. Like, and then they do the silhouette. This movie was aimed at children and like teenagers, like tweens. Not so. So it's like parents wouldn't be like weirded out by this. Am I alone here? No, you're you're totally <laughs> on point with that. Like like. This film it's is a, too adult. This, this is this, they should have just. I mean, they did do a pilot of this series. It's called Firefly. I mean, now that you mention it, it's kind of an odd choice for a Don Bluth movie in general. Since I mean, he's always done like he's specialized in films that, on the surface, are whimsical and light, but Secret have a dark, uh, but have a dark undertone. Secret of Nim, in um, American Land Before Tale. Time. You mean Dinosaur Orphans? Dinosaur Orphans. <laughs> um. Thank you, Haley. Right. All dogs go to heaven. <laughs> I mean, it's a Don Bluth film, not a Ralph Bakshi film. Uh, yeah, and it, it just, to me, it, it feels like this isn't a movie that he should be doing. Like, this isn't his wheelhouse. He doesn't normally do space. He, I would have preferred a better sequel to Secret of Nim than the one we got. Right. We had Eric Idle. <laughs> In it for a little bit. Cole, go go into the corner. Just gonna leave now. Bye, guys. Say I, hi to Brian Blast. Hello, Cole. Join me go in the away. corner. Okay, fine. I'll leave. I I just I didn't understand how adult this film was as a kid, and watching it again, I was like, my dad let me watch this movie. Like. There's a lot of murder, like, implied. There's blood. Oh, yeah, she gets oh, shot. Yeah. Multiple times. Akima gets shot. And, and the thing that, part of the reason why, why Lee is on here, because I wanted you here because of the soundtrack. Here we go. The music. The music cues are so inappropriate. Ugh. Like, they were every, clear. Every th- dramatic moment where there's any kind of dramatic tension or anything... Is either done with is either punctuated with the score or the the soundtrack, which is mid to late nineties like rap rap rock trash and out the door post music. music. I mean, I told you guys what what song they used in the trailer for this. <laughs> they used Creed. Can you take me? <laughs> Mercifully, not in the film, but instead, it's just full like. Something will be happening, and then all of a sudden, cut to cut to space, and it's Power Band Five Thousand. Wood worlds collide, or whatever it was. Do you know what should have been playing at the end when they created Earth? 
with arms wide open, <laughs> I, I show you everything. Welcome to this place. Scott, are you okay? Are, are you having this stroke? I'm okay. This is how I usually talk. I'm having a stroke. Now, if you'll excuse me, I gotta go make a sex tape with Kid Rock. Oh, ew. That's a thing he did. Oh, Ooh. no. Yeah, I mean, and like you Bringing had... in the podcast down. <laughs> and you have, you have Lit, who was pre-Good Charlotte. Like, everyone thought these guys were going to be huge because of my own worst enemy. And then they do... This was a time when yeah. they were they were doing theme songs to to movies like like this was the time of Men in Black and uh, Mission Impossible Two had uh, the the Limp Biscuit song, and not, not one of the more not not one of the not one of the film franchises more uh, dignified moments. But this Limp one, Limp Biscuit and Metallica at their worst. This one had lit, and I made you guys watch the music video for I'm in Over My Head. I wish that- It is insane because they're they're on first they're in like a space nightclub and then they're on an asteroid. Like thinking about it now, I would say that music video hits all the exact same beats if instead of lit it was Smash Mouth doing it. Or any <laughs> other one of those bands that well, only ever does songs for soundtracks anymore. Everyone in the band looks like the guys from Good Charlotte. The lead singer looks like the guy from Good Charlotte. Like, the bassist looks like the guy from Good Charlotte. Like, you could have just said Good Charlotte did the music and I would have probably believed you. And you pointed out something, Cole, in the music video that they they were just taking... They just took scenes from the movie and then inserted the band in them. So Matt Damon's character, when he's flying around on the asteroid with his, like, space bike in the beginning, they just stuck the lead singer in the suit, and it's painful to watch. Exactly. That's the same way it would have worked if Smash Mouth was in their place instead. Might as well be walking on the sun. (laughs) And the song itself, like, the chorus is, I'm in over my head. I think... If I'm not careful, I might be dead or something like that. They they should be dead. They're performing rock music on an asteroid floating in space. <laughs> They're like, oh man, this is, this is our big break. We just had a huge hit with uh, my own worst enemy. Because when I when I told you who they were, you didn't know Cole. And then I played the song, and you're like, oh god. You. They all sound the same at that point, like as. Yeah, that's that's 90s late 90s bands. That's the thing about late 90s bands. That's the thing about late 90s bands. They always stick around. (laughs) Uh, Well, and is there anyone on the soundtrack that still has a career? I mean, maybe sort of Jamiroquai, because they seem like the kind of band that would well, just... Jamiroquai that is would still just big pl- in Britain. Yeah, they they also seem like the kind of band that would just play at, like, festivals now, because they have a very jammy, kind of jazzy sound. But all the other bands, like, uh, like you know, Power Man 5000, pretty sure not, Lucius Jackson... I thought Lucius Jackson is still around. 
Are they are they still around? I know Lit's not. I mean, well, well I mean, Power well, Man actually, 5, Lit is, is still around. Guys, who wants to go to a county <laughs> fair? No. Anyone want to go to the county fair to see Lit? I could use some pies. <laughs> but no, I, I don't mean like they've broken up. I mean like they are by no means like touring and performing at the same level. Like I think Power Man Five Thousand played at the Middle East a while ago. When like right before they were like headlining rock festivals that's back in ri- their that's back in so their day. sad because the Middle East is is a jumping point for like bands like I saw I saw um, the Weaker Thans before they got really big performed there and and oh that's so sad yeah they're performing at like places like the Middle East and uh, like just much lower like yeah like you said bands that should be starting out performing there and now they're there like they're not at their peak anymore neither is led definitely not fun loving criminals and the the, the songs didn't even to you did, did they even elevate the the plot of the movie no there's one scene where uh kale and corso bill pullman and matt damon's characters are having like a bonding moment where they're flying through like an ice cloud or whatever before they get to the actual ice crystals can you take me higher it should have had like a whimsical or like space oriented like orchestral tune and instead we got like mid 90s like like if this was a pixar movie like this is where like thomas newman's like score for for finding nemo or wally would come in yeah and but for them it's just dude bro music (laughs) and I mean, if I had to guess, whoever was in charge of that sort of thing, in terms of, like, you know, licensed soundtrack, I mean, obviously there's a score there, but they were also trying to keep it like, this is the future, it's dystopian, so we're not gonna be doing, like, whimsical stuff all the time, but... Like... Do do better. Well... Like, I don't know if you guys are so intimately familiar with uh, Don Davis's soundtrack from The Matrix... Like the Matrix, I actually, and the Matrix yeah, Reloaded. I, there, I'm, are f- there are frequently points where it just sort of well, I, mixes like with mixes. I just watched both the first two films. I'm, then you know that there are just like frequently points where it just like mixes like orchestral stuff with electronic music, and it does it to amazing sort of degrees. Like even if you don't like the new Matrix movies and stuff, I absolutely love new Matrix the movies. Are, are there <laughs> new ones that I don't know I'm, about? Okay. Cole, right. hold him down. He's holding out on us. Sorry, Lee. Not personal. It's no. business. No. Why is it I always get throttled when I'm on this podcast? Because <laughs> you have it coming. Um, I'm trying to see who did the, the you, score to this. You know what I'm talking about, though, right? No, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's just... I mean, just, just find... Just pay whoever's in charge of the orchestral... Like, of the original score, just a couple extra dollars. You'll save that much more in licensing fees that you'd have to pay to friggin' Lit and Power Man 5000 and all that sort of stuff. So, when they, when Lit is doing them building out the ship, so they go to this mining colony in New Bangkok, and they, they get this um, rocket ship that they're gonna turn into an actual rocket ship because right now it's an apartment and i just found out who did the voice of the so-called mayor who is also the realtor wait he's the mayor too yeah that's why he's the dog he appears in like no other scenes he's just there to sell them a ship and he has a dog for some reason and he looks like 
like the whimsical Uncle Moneybags kind of character, well, which I asked no, you when I asked no, you when he we doesn't were, look like that. I asked you when we were watching it, like, is there like a scene that was cut where he gets introduced and it's like, "Welcome to New Bangkok. I'm the mayor of space." That got cut out. <laughs> well, well, you and I. And there, it wasn't cut out. He's just there for no reason. Well, he he doesn't look like Uncle Moneybags. He looks like, say it, he looks like... He looks like me, David Lynch! Oh, hi, David, it's me, David Lynch. Hi, how are ya? Hi, David Lynch, it's me, other David Lynch. How are you doing? Good. We have this dog with us. It's also our lover. <laughs> but it's a different David who is actually... Here's a song by Chris Isaac. Um, he, the voice of the mayor is David Lerner, who is also the voice, who is also, hello, Laverne, hello, Cheryl. It's Squiggy. <laughs> really? Yeah, it's Squiggy. Oh, um, boy. so there were two composers. They should both be ashamed of themselves. <laughs> it's, the first one was Graham Revel, who did the score for The Crow, which is a fantastic okay. movie. Okay, mm-hmm. But he also did the score Iconic for Lo- Val Icon- Kilmer's The Saint, mm. Tomb Raider, mm. Daredevil. Hold on. He's got a whole bunch. Gotham. He does the music for Gotham. Mm. And good. I mean, I'm not surprised to learn that he's just one of those guys that just does a musical score for a paycheck. And he did um, Aeon Flux. Uh, mm. The movie? Yes. Oh, boy. Mm. So he, he has he has a niche genre of like he does this weird industrial ish. But, but what would have been better for a score is if they got someone like Thomas Newman, someone who like Ooh, or Trent Reznor. This was before Trent Reznor was doing scores. I mean, maybe that would have been the time to strike when the iron was hot. Lee, I said this was the only time he was I like Trent Reznor. We all like Trent Reznor. <laughs> oh, well how about James Newton Howard or anybody else who actually has composed a movie? Right. Like, the key to making a film like this is su- successful is by taking someone who is a good composer. The reason why Wally's good is because Thomas Newman. The reason why any of Brad Bird's movies are good is because of Michael G. Aquino. Like, take someone who is good. Ooh, I know who they could have gotten. Anybody. More specifically, Danny Elfman. Danny Elfman would have been great! Yeah. Danny Elfman probably could have nailed that a lot, that sort of, like... I mean, I know he's definitely a much more sort of whimsical-sounding kind of thing, but he definitely could nail, like, the darker undercurrent. What, I like Pee-wee's Big Adventure? Well, they couldn't have gotten Danny Elfman because he was doing uh, Planet of the Apes. Um, was it Planet of the Apes at mm. this time? I, oh, no, he was doing Spider-Man. I, I get the feeling they probably yeah, couldn't have afforded yeah. Danny Elfman anyway after all well, the, after paying all those licensing fees to Lit. <laughs> uh, uh, they have no career anymore. Nope. Guys, come on to the podcast. <laughs> I was about to steal your joke. <laughs> I wasn't getting into it. Um, but... So, the one person who does not fit in this movie, besides Drew Barrymore, who do you think I'm going to say? Nathan Lane. No, Nathan Lane actually... Actually, I, yeah. I think Nathan Lane's character was the only good part of the movie. No, I agree with you. He's so foppish. He's like, 
I wait in anticipation. You know that they wanted, like, Tim Curry. He's, he's a lot... He kind of reminds me a lot of, like, the Doctor from Lost in Space, except maybe, oh, a, the may, pain. maybe a little less sniveling, because he can handle a gun. Well, so, according to the trivia, they wanted Tim Curry, but they didn't want to give away that he was going to be the villain. So, yeah, they didn't good, get good, Tim good Curry. Call, good call getting Tim Curry, if that's your idea. Okay, so it's not Nathan Lane. Um, Cole, who do you think? Maybe oh. Janine Garofalo? What do you think? What? Bill Pullman. Janine Garofalo. Janine. She, she doesn't fit. She's just so grumpy in this movie. She's just like... She's not really there to do anything except than, scowl at people, really. And be a giant kangaroo with freakish legs. Yeah, she. What her character she? has gigantic knees, and well, it's unsettling. She looks like a half-gremlin, half-kangaroo hybrid. Like, like, it doesn't make sense. None, none of the character designs that aren't human make sense. And, of course, she's got a beak, because every alien has a beak or, like... This weird kind of no. rounded off snout. I'm gonna go back to the the lit song again because when they do that song in the actual movie, it's when they're building out David Lynch's apartment. <laughs> oh, you're turning it into a spaceship! It's gonna go in the sky. Use all the space you like, but mind the mid '90s pop punk band. Oh, there's a midget talking backwards. Okay, see ya. Beyond the stars! Those were nice kids, David. Oh, yeah, I thought they were really lovely. But in that scene, when she is feeding him a sandwich... <laughs> Probably a poo sandwich. <laughs> I, I, too bad the music... I thought was... you said they had frozen burritos. <laughs> yeah, shouldn't that should have been a burrito, right? It should have been, and he should have died. <laughs> but the... um. The, the whole playfulness of that scene undercuts like it's the best metaphor for the entire movie the the playfulness of the this entire scene in new bangkok it there should be more urgency to it right yeah they're literally trying to race against time to get bill pullman's crew yeah away they from have to titan. beat bill pullman to titan and like like they're 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 messing around with wires and and oh the kids are helping build them. That seems, of, that seems like the one time where a movie that's going at way too quick of a pace would be handy. And in New Bangkok, who wants to bring it up? What, the fact that one of those kids looks exactly like Matt Damon's character? Oh, yeah. I didn't, I didn't even one realize that. Or that the kids have Pele as a dad? Pele as a dad, <laughs> but, but let's get back to that, because I didn't even know that. So you're telling me, are you telling me that, that he... He had a wild night one day in New Bangkok, and that's probably why he didn't want to go there. Yeah, you know what they say, one night in New Bangkok makes a poor man humble. <laughs> one night in New Bangkok makes a poor man humble. Yeah, the, so there, there's a bunch of kids playing, well, not a bunch, there's like three. Yeah, that's all that's left of that's children. Left. Um, they're playing soccer, and one of the kids looks exactly like flashback version of Kale, the younger version. So he... Same haircut. Well, also, the girl... And I'm gonna I'm gonna ask a, a bystander who is over here for for confirmation. The girl that who is talking to him, she looks exactly like the Disney design of Tiana from The Princess and the Frog. Am I right? Yes. D nope. <laughs>
But yeah, I didn't notice that. Well, she looks exactly like like the animators were clearly the same animators, hmm. and uh, maybe then, they went on to work on Princess and the Frog. Probably, but also she pulls a card from her back pocket, a pristine upper deck card to show her father, and I'm pretty sure it's Pele. And she's like, he was a great soccer player, but Earth has been blown up for like 25 years. Um, how? <laughs> Do you think her dad, her mom lied to her? Like, your dad exploded. Mom, did you have a one-night stand with Pele? <laughs> your dad exploded. <laughs> your dad exploded. That's just a funny sentence in and of itself. <laughs> There's the t-shirt. Your dad exploded. <laughs> Writer's bagel basket. You try to... Your dad, soccer ball. your dad exploded, and there's just a picture of that Pele card. <laughs> you but, tried to punt the soccer ball at the alien, just like, nope. Well, well it's... <laughs> it's oh, stop them. <laughs> Don't worry. Take that. I'm Pele. I'm Pele. I'm gonna take care of these dredge aliens. Pew, pew. Oh no. <laughs> they but, got my leg. Well, no. It just felt like like the mom lied to her. Like, yeah, your dad was a famous soccer player. Who was he? And she's just going through a bunch of old 1990s <laughs> cards. Uh, this guy, Pele. Yep. <laughs> yep. That's him. That's mm-hmm. who it is. Totally. It was a space trucker. She's <laughs> going through a bunch of cards. Oh, it's uh, stops on Pele. No, she's not going to believe that. It's uh, the next one's Roger Clemens. Uh, it's this one. It's Pele. <laughs> and she that's hands a, spo- a different card to the a, little brother. My sp- dad's Jose Canseco. <laughs> oh, <a> s- no. <laughs> that's a sports joke for the three people listening that follow sports. <laughs> we apologize to everyone else. So... I saw this in theaters, you saw this on rental, and you saw this about two I hours ago. I saw it ago. today. <laughs> Actually, I did not see it on rental, because we never ever once picked it up. I saw it on <laughs> HBO when I was younger, I uh, think probably around 13. and um, In between all the softcore <clears throat> porn? <laughs> <laughs> yes. No. That's a callback <clears throat> to the Buckaroo Banzai one, because that's how I saw Buckaroo Banzai was at like... 5 a.m. I woke up early, and my dad's like, "If you wake up early, Buckaroo Banzai is going to be on HBO and at this time." Immediately but, turn it off. And no, no, he said, "Don't turn it up or down to any of the other channels. <laughs> Just keep it on this channel because it was HBO family." But if if I went up or if I went down, it was like Taxi Cab Confessions. <laughs> no, this was on right before I think we were having dinner, and then my mom called me. I'm like, "I don't really care. I'm going to go to dinner." <laughs> Cole, come on! We're having pizza bagels. <gasps> pizza bagels. Pizza bagels. <laughs> Cole, we got chicken nug nugs. I could watch the heat death of the universe, or chicken I could nug- have dinosaur nugs. <laughs> Choices. <laughs> I, I just picture you with the 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 movie in the background, and like everything's blowing up, and you're just like, I am the T Rex. <laughs> I am the Stegosaurus. <laughs> I'm gonna bite off your head. Oh no, don't bite off my head! Kale, you can't fight the dredge, they're pure energy. (laughs) Shut up! (laughs) Oh my god, did he just break that guy's neck? (laughs) Ooh, Tater Tots! I'm gonna break your neck, Stegosaurus! The ending of this movie. The the whole so the whole time when when they're when they pick up Kale, he gets in prison. 
their technology to get out of prison is you put two fingers together and then you can escape let let me just say really quick um the dredge worst fucking aliens in the whole of cinema history i'm i'm calling it right now they have ships that can be brought down with handguns and you can just break (laughs) out of their prisons just by poking them they well, they suck. They suck. They th- suck. There's they only suck. one race worse for alien race, and that's. Have you seen Mom and Dad Save the World? I haven't seen that. Oh, I have. <laughs> John Lovett's Alien Race. They're oh, all boy. morons. I mean, any race that's led by John Lovett's. There we go. Uh, yeah. So long, milkmaids. I'm going to conquer your planet. No, no, no. <laughs> like, but you pointed out that they don't even need the cannons and the bazookas <laughs> that that um, J- Janine Garofalo has. Kale takes them out with a handgun. <laughs> At various points in the movie, too. I mean, th- that's how the movie should have opened up. Like, you should have had, like, a whole bunch of, like, the dredge just lands in... <laughs> in basically here because that's where they're landing they're land they're landing in america i assume it's like oklahoma yeah all of a sudden i would have just loved to see one guy like hey cletus there's aliens get out the gun and the movie the whole movie's prevented because they just have like a remington and they're just mowing down all of these space aliens like that i would that's that's the dom bluth movie i would want to see like, like just an, an alien race getting brought down by a bunch of like salt of the earth rednecks. <laughs> I, I'm not pickup say, trucks. I'm not saying bloodhounds. I'm not saying I'm not saying rednecks. I'm not <laughs> insulting anyone. I'm just saying like human beings just taking on aliens who like like. Then there's one scene where where our our hero, preferably played by Billy Bob Thornton. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> I could get behind that. Him and Bill Paxton. That's how you get Bill Paxton. It's like the entire cast of A Simple Plan. I sincerely hope there's a part for Tom Waits in there somewhere. Tom Waits is the voice he of can the dredge. Like the ta- he can be like the town drunk who was right all along. I told you guys. I told you everything. But no one listens to me. Crazy old Tom Waits. <laughs> and he's just, just, he's just Tom, Tom Waits. Waits. <laughs> I told you. Oh no, downtown drink. <laughs> but <laughs> but it's Billy Bob Thornton, Titan A.E., Billy Bob Thornton, Bill Paxson. Soundtrack by Tom Waits. <laughs> oh my god. I, would, I am absolutely on board for that. That I would. And Trent yes. <laughs> Directed by David Lynch. <laughs> Sorry, Don Bluth. Boom, we've already fixed the movie. Yeah. No, but but you even pointed out, it just takes a blast from a gun, and, and they're gone. And this just occurred to me, like, at one, like they're on, like, this weird bat planet at one point, and they're clearly bringing ship after ship down with handguns. Then later in the movie comes, they're using the shame ships to go after them. They haven't learned a thing. Like, okay, maybe we shouldn't send our weakest ships after these guys if they're going to bring them down with handguns. Nope. Well, okay. Here's here's what I think about that. I mean, I, I want to see just a salt of the earth American tale. He's already made an American tale from the perspective of 
of a mouse. How about an American tale from a guy who finds out that his factory is getting shut down, and then these aliens show up, and his father left him this inheritance, but the father's not dead. It turns out to be Tom Waits. <laughs> That's Titan A.E. So he, his father leaves him this empire of, of a machinery, basically. So he opens up this old silo, and it's filled with space guns. <laughs> And he's like, don't worry, I got this covered. <laughs> That's the movie. That's the movie, guys. That's the Titan AEI yep, I want to see. We fixed it. We fixed the movie. Cole? Your thoughts? No? I think we should do it. We can <laughs> strap those guns to pickup trucks. <laughs> Well, that's that's how that's how they won um, Independence Day. Is what's his name, Randy Quaid? With his Bob. No, he's playing Randy the Quaid. At the end. Randy Quaid pre-insanity. No, he's pretty insane at this point. Oh, that's a shame. <laughs> well, the the original ending of of Independence Day was Bill Pullman is out of Bill Pullman. <laughs> Bill Pullman is out <laughs> of uh, ammunition. He's like, does anyone else have it? And in his crop plane comes in Randy Quaid with a bomb strapped to it. That's how this movie should have ended. They should have tied it together. Guess what, you alien bastards? I'm back! Boom! But that's how this movie kind of ends, because (laughs) Bill Pullman sacrifices himself. Yeah, and there's, like, no fanfare to it whatsoever. Like, he's just like, go away, I'm gonna make the circuit. And yeah. then he does, and yeah. everything's cool. But, but, okay, so... Looks like a five-gum commercial. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Or this a pepper- is how it feels to chew five-gum. <laughs> or, or a peppermint batting commercial. <laughs> Sometimes when I get the sensation, I have 6,000 volts going through my body. <laughs> Your peppermint did patties. <laughs> get the sensation. <laughs> It brings the earth back, but now it's a giant peppermint patty. Mm. Oh, I was wrong. It, it was Burger King that had the tie into this because they had... Oh, oh my God. I'm starting to remember that now. Because they, they had the Icy's. They had the Dredge Icy's. And oh, I don't remember that, but that sounds ridiculous. It was blue, and then in the middle they would put soft serve ice cream. It was dis- no, it was gross. Oh. That sounds pretty gross. Because because it was that sounds wait, was it just like regular slushy and then it was the blue Pepsi that they had in oh. icy from oh. that, that sounds way too sweet. Am I ruining everyone's day? A little oh, bit. Bring yeah. those cookies over here. <laughs> Bill Pullman, icy. Yes, let's fight back something that sounds disgustingly sweet with something that's just regularly sweet. <laughs> the ending of this movie. The ending, when they when Bill Pullman sacrifices himself, when they get the the um, the dredge. So so there, Kale's entire plan is using the energy of the dredge against itself to build this planet. So hang on, wait. I just realized something. Maybe I just wasn't paying attention. But does he blow up the dredge, or do the dredge just go like, okay, we'll just go? No, he, he sucks their energy. Into oh, that's that's what that black hole was. Yeah. Oh, okay. It was them, because the mothership comes and she's like, "Hi, I'm gonna take care of you guys." Zap, zap, zap. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why it's old Greg. Hey there. That's that's the voice. If it was like early '90s Don Bluth doing this, then that would he, be. Then he probably would have gotten Charles would, Nelson. That Riley. would be the Charles. <laughs> Hi there. 
you're Here getting... come the threads. We're gonna get you. You're <laughs> getting sucked up. Zap, zap, zap. Nom, 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 nom. Do you remember Rockadoodle? <laughs> Wait. Yeah. It's the chicken, right? And I'm glad the... that made sense in context. Okay, Don Bluth. The the neurons are firing. The the last animated movie that Don Bluth made for for Columbia slash Sony was called Rockadoodle, and Charles Nelson Riley, the two villains, one was played by Christopher Plummer as right. a giant owl, and his nephew, who was a tiny owl. Was played by Charles Nelson Riley. That was Charles Nelson Riley. Yes. Oh boy. And, and he, that that's the voice. They should have just taken his audio from Rockadoodle and just put it as the voice of the Dredge, because I'm guessing at this point Charles Nelson Riley was dead. I'm yeah. guessing. I mean that's that's a fair prediction. So so every time the Dredge is like, uh, in their weird space speak. Get Kale or get whatever his name. Just get me that young man. Get me that boy. <laughs> yeah, every other dredge makes dredge noises except for the dredge queen. And it's it's the queen of them all. Or or you could have got Phyllis Diller. <laughs> or B. Arthur. She was probably still alive. Yeah, B. Arthur was. Just any anyone with a ridiculous voice from the seventies who was on the match game. <laughs> Now a part of me, now that I'm thinking it, a part of me actually wants Harvey Firestein to be the voice. Kale, oh my God, I swear, I swear. Oh, and and the whole reason why the send dread- the forces after the Titan. You sound more like H. John Benjamin as Miss Schnur. <laughs> But oh but God. the reason the reason why the dredge hate us so much is because they think we're gonna blow ourselves up, so they blow us up instead. <laughs> well, I mean, now you've given them reason to blow you up. Yeah, good good point. Why not just leave them alone? Like if they don't know that the dredge is coming for them, why not just not why not just not fuck with them? How about well, no, we can't just sit down and let them blow us up but how about we just disappear through a wormhole that's too easy make too much sense we've already paid lit for the songs i i I just want i god god i want to be in the fox so fox at this time they had their own record label that's why i mean everyone had their own record label at the time universal i think universal still does Warner Brothers, uh, Paramount, and Fox. What was what bands didn't make the cut? Like what bands weren't good enough? Like like uh, Paul McCartney wants to do a song. Fuck that guy. <laughs> like, like like who who wasn't good enough to make this? The, the, I mean, who who was like really big around that time? Like this was like so this the was production this... probably would have taken place like ninety nine, so, ninety eight or something like that. Yeah, so let's let's look at, at the movie Disney was making, which was the Emperor's New Groove. Right. That was Sting. That was Sting and Tom Jones. Yeah, so you know, relevant. Yeah. So and then the year before was Phil Collins doing um Tarzan. Tarzan. So relevant. <laughs> Shut up, Cole. <laughs> Don't give me that look. Featuring me, Brian Blessed. Will you get out of here? Okay, fine. Wait till... You're coming back when we're doing uh, Flash Gordon, okay? Gordon's alive? Get out of here. <laughs> what were you going to say, Cole? 
before Brian Bless <laughs> rudely interrupted you. Nothing, I just wanted to look at you. <laughs> oh, you want to look at me? How sweet. <laughs> I love you, too. I'm leaving. <laughs> no, no. So, so the bands that didn't make it at this time, I'm guessing Blink-182 probably didn't make it. Corn probably. The Verve. The Verve. <laughs> Yeah, I mean the ver- the verbs the verb seems like the kind of band that would be on that soundtrack. Bum, 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 bum. Oh wait, no, they were they were on the soundtrack for Cruel Intentions at this time. So no. Oh. No, um, which was a different Fox movie. Right. So let's see. Uh, Blink One Eighty Two probably didn't make the cut. Uh, Phoenix TX probably didn't make the cut. Limp Bizkit for sure. Well, they were they were on Mission Impossible. They were doing the theme for Mission Impossible. Yeah, but too. if they weren't doing Mission Impossible, you just know they would have been on Titan AE. Um, the Smashing Pumpkins. <laughs> you oh, know what? No, I, what? I think you're right. Yeah, Billy Corgan probably would have been desperate for this. W- there was there was like a period during Please. there was a period during like the Smashing Pumpkins history before they broke up the first time where. They had like Smashing Pumpkins track on j- tracks on just about every movie soundtrack. You Batman and Robin. Yeah, they were on Batman and Robin. It was them and R. Kelly. Oh, Gotham yeah. oh, City. Man. But, but yeah, Smashing Pumpkins would totally have a song on Titan A.E. Except, but I think they might have actually broken up by the time. But that Fox came out. put in a hundred million dollars into an animated children's movie. And Not they, their best decision. And the toys that they had for this movie, so they had, they they did the thing where they gave them like action figures that were like appropriate to the plot, and then they gave them ridiculous stuff. Like I think Goon had a rocket pack. <laughs> Is this like that action figure trope where just like here's the snowboarding Batman with his ice pack, just like from the show? Well, did you, okay. They did that a lot with uh, when I was a kid. I, I loved to watch Batman Beyond, so I would go into the store and they would have like, "Here's Techno Batman, <laughs> who techno has like, <laughs> he's got a pacifier full of ecstasy." I'm like, he already has a high tech suit. Why does he need all this? Watch this him, is Terry watch, McGinnis at a rave. Watch him fight villains with a with his action pouch filled with E. Ready to use skis. I just want to see like the Terry McGinnis action figure where you pull off the Batman mask and he has the pacifier full of full of like acid. Just a giant cat in a hat hat. <laughs> What's up, guys? Huge J and co pants. <laughs> um, no, uh, so so the 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 stuff that didn't fit for the action figures because one thing I did want to talk about was the fact that the toy budget for this movie alone, which was part of the movie's budget, was. T- 25 to 30 million dollars so so they were like banking on this film being like an action figure well as as i as i wrote in the thing this was their big tentpole movie because so the movies that that paramount had this no no paramount paramount had this was fox paramount had mission impossible 2 and the patriot no sony was the patriot so mission impossible was paramount this was fox Disney uh, had the perfect storm through through uh, Touchstone, hmm. and 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 uh, DreamWorks had Chicken Run. Were there plans for if this movie was successful a sequel? Yes, 
I mean, if their toy budget was that big, then you'd have to imagine, like, if it was a success, they would have milked the hell out of it. They built the Titan. There would have been, like, an animated series. There would have been a ride at Universal Studios or wherever or Um, something like that. Yeah, I I think they were going to do something, a ride or something, like like a 3D ride. Um, Who the hell were the villains going to (laughs) be? Probably once they got on the planet, it was going to be like you know a totalitarian thing, like like Mad Max style. Um, yeah, that's a good point. Like the Earth is back, but how exactly do they think they're going to govern themselves? Built this planet, but I'm going to run it. <laughs> You're not going to run it. I'm going to run it. Shiny and Chrome. This is a massive slaughter. So, so the movie that that Fox had no interest in that they just threw in in the summer was Big Mama's House. Like, they didn't think that movie was going to do well at all. Um, Paramount had Mission Impossible 2, as we already said, and Shaft. And Shaft did really well. Um, I actually I saw Shaft in theaters. But that's neither here nor there. And then Fo- Fox had Big Mama's House, and that only did well because the budget was only like $25 million dollars. And this was before Martin Lawrence was Martin Lawrence, so so it made it made a ton of money to make up for this hmm. because they wasted so much money. Oh boy! Oh they, boy! They they wasted so much money on on tie-ins. Burger King was so upset. <laughs> That's another shirt right there. Burger, Burger King. Ki- Burger King was so upset. Like, like Burger, because no one was buying kids' meals because McDonald's had. Uh, uh, chicken Run, and they they got oh, stuck. That must with... have made them a mint. Chicken Run was huge when it came chicken out. Chicken Run was so big. Chicken Run made them so much money. Like like, this movie just nearly destroyed. This movie did destroy the animation department because a year later they they switched to Blue Sky. Oh man. Yeah, and a year later we got a uh, Ice Age. Ice Age. I'm just. Imagining some exec at Burger King's like, what are we supposed to do with all these dread slushies now? Nobody wants these. This was a terrible idea. But guys, Matt Damon as an action figure. You're fired. You're fired, Kyle. Oh, man. <laughs> Kyle, your wife called. She's leaving you for David Lynch. <laughs> Kyle, your Dom DeLuise called. He's leaving you too. Also for David Lynch. <laughs> That's what happens to poor Kyle McLaughlin when he became a CEO of Burger King. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Damn fine cup of coffee. Po- poor Burger King CEO Kyle McLaughlin. <laughs> uh, but I I just want to see like I w- is it just me or does anyone else want to see a behind the scenes documentary on like this movie? As it's coming out, like all the numbers and, and the movie tanking, because one thing they did is this was the first movie shown on digital. Like they didn't use film; they used a, they made all these movie theaters buy digital projectors, and they they sent it out as a digital product. I mean, digital was a mistake. <laughs> Smash. The more that we're talking about this, I'm kind of feeling like more and more like this film needs its own equivalent of like that documentary about how Terry Gilliam couldn't make, you know, who killed the man of La Mancha. Or or, or how Emperor's New Groove had the sweat box because right. Kingdom of the Sun. Right. But, oh god, I, I 
I would yeah. love I would love to see a documentary about that actually now that I've actually seen what a complete clusterfuck this movie was I, I would love to see like B- them inter- interview Bill Pullman oh man I can't believe that I took scale in order <laughs> to get back end points and what was the process like Mr. Paxton Pullman Mr. Murray please answer the question I hate my life Ah oh, man, I miss Casper. <laughs> I so, never thought I'd be saying that. Is there anything you guys want to bring up that happened in this movie that made you go crazy? Um, I think we've pretty much hit all the most ridiculous points of it. Uh, just to reiterate, the CG is awful. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, there are points where the CG doesn't look too bad. I mean, it looks about as good as 2000s era CG does, but... It's when they combine it with the traditional animation that it really starts to look... Where's that Pepsi bottle? Uneven. It's over there. Especially when the camera's moving at the same time. That legit made me a little bit nauseous. The fact that they had Pepsi as a tie-in for this, like, or Coke or whatever, I think it was Pepsi because Pepsi Blue made a special slushie for, for, um... Burger King. (laughs) Like, ugh, everything they, they did... And, you know, I still... This is a guilty pleasure movie for me. This is a movie I watch when I'm sick because I know I can put it on and fall asleep. Like, that's the only... Or hallucinate. Well, growing up, when I got... I got really bad pneumonia um, when this... Yeah, when this came out in uh, seventh grade, I turned it on and I just fell asleep watching it. Like, Mm. and, like... And that's the only way I got better was ignoring this film. (laughs) So, guys, it's that time. How many bagels? On a scale of 13 bagels, in a bagel basket, for a writer's room, how many bagels were taken out when writing this process? 13 is best. One is awful. Right. Um, I guess I'll go, I guess I'll go first because I'm the only one talking. Um... I'm going to say that I'm going to leave maybe five or six bagels in there because I did not like the movie. It was a complete disaster of a mess of a film, but somehow I was still engaged in it for how completely messed up and psychotic it got with like all the things that we discussed. So I can't outright say that I openly like hate it or anything like that. I definitely didn't like it, though. I'm, yeah, I'm going to go on the low end and say five bagels. I'm tempted to do five too. I'll give it six just because overall watching the animated characters move it is a delight to see like that. However, the plot and just the CGI is just awful. I'm I it, yeah, it just doesn't I'm half half. Six and a half bagels. I'm in the middle because it's not terrible. Joss Whedon's writing is really good. Like, like Akima is is a developed character. Is she though? Yeah, because because she was abandoned. She had to grow up on a mining col- colony. Do we ever get that? All I yeah was we'd, yeah Lee was well, too busy I, cracking jokes left him. I kind of <laughs> brain turned off. It was right before watching. Mayor David Lynch showed up. <laughs> it's when uh, Squigman showed up. <laughs> Hello, Waban. Hello, show. <laughs> So six six and a half. I I think, I think Joss Whedon's writing, also the fact that this was the like precursor to Firefly, like very clearly. 
So I'm giving it six and a half. Hmm. So, Lee, do you want to plug your podcast? Uh, yeah, actually, before we get to plugs. All right, that's enough. Oh, actually, before we get to plugs, and I want to like say this while Haley's in the room. Um, referring back to your little princess episode, the revelation with the Oreos. Yes, that is an unorthodox way to eat Oreos, but I will say wait, it's, wait, wait, less, wait. it's less messed we, up. We need than... context. So Lee and I are from the same hometown. Chelmsford, Massachusetts. And they gave us very fine juice <laughs> and Oreos in school because it was cheaper than using the lunch supply of milk. So they... Very fine donated a ton to to her- to all of the school systems in in our town. And when Haley found that out, she was so disgusted <laughs> that they were giving us fruit juice, our fruit punch, and Oreos. <laughs> That's awful. I mean, I will say that is an unorthodox way to have Oreos, but. In retrospect, free considering, free. <laughs> considering every weird decision with flavoring Oreos has made in the past half decade or so, the Swedish fish it's one it's significantly less weird. Yeah, like that's sw- true. Swedish fish Oreos and all that sort of stuff. No, but I mean, you remember that in school. Oreos. I very vaguely, yeah. Like, I mean, you you mocked you mocked Scott for that, Haley. But at the same time, like. Would you be mocking him if, like, you go to that cookie shelf and see, oh, durian-flavored Oreos? No. Durian? What's that? Uh, durian is like this spiny melon that oh, okay. smells, it tastes savory and it smells like death. Well, oh, that one, like jackfruit. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, they, they do green tea uh, Oreos now, too. Mm-hmm. Also, thinking about it, you take a golden Oreo, that might actually taste pretty good dipped in fruit punch. No, I didn't. It was di- more of the surprise that. The hold, on, hold 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 on. Hand me, hand me that microphone. At a point. Whoops. <laughs> no, it was more just the surprise that the school would just give you sugar, <laughs> like so much sugar on top of sugar. That's that's what shocked me. Well, I mean, that was the public school system at the time. <laughs> They didn't have... Free is free, guys. No, but... They didn't have Michelle Obama coming in to say, no, don't do that. Well, well, you remember, like, in the town next to us, they had the very fine plan. Right. What Was that, like, next to Chelmsford? It was, it was Westford. Really? It was I ne- could have sworn it was a little further out, but okay. No, it was literally right next to Kimball's. Oh, boy. It's now, it's now the Red Hat building. Oh, I'm sorry for our, our for our listeners who are from California or anywhere <laughs> else, but but yes, the very fine plant. They had two locations in Massachusetts, and one of them was right next door. And they just dumped off all of this fruit juice, fruit punch, to hook the kids. Yeah, now that I'm thinking about it, in like the high school, there were just very fine machines everywhere. Well, for that a time. that's what they did. So they would get you hooked when you were a kid, and then. When you got to middle school and high school, because they had them in the middle school too, you would have to use your own money to pay. Right. They that, were so crafty. And that worked out so well, because very fine's everywhere now. <laughs> totally not, not screwed over by Ocean Spray. <laughs> anyway, plugs. <laughs> yeah, g- 
plug your fucking podcast. Uh, come check out my podcast I do with my friend Patrick, uh, Jukebox Zeros. Uh, we haven't recorded it yet. We're going to record it soon. This month's episode is our season finale. Uh, we're doing uh, Billy Idol's uh, 1993 album, Cyberpunk. The album that he made after reading way too much William Gibson. And uh, my friend Tone Bernard, who's uh, otherwise known as DJ Zero from like various uh, nights around Boston, will be the guest on that. People have occasionally been coming up to me just being like, why are you ending the podcast? And I go, we're not. I'm not sure if you can read. That's why I don't do seasons. We just do a whole bunch. <laughs> and Cole, what are we doing next week? Really big, big trouble out. in little Chinatown. China, <laughs> <laughs> big trouble in little Chinatown. I thought you said legal Chinatown for a second. <laughs> so, so okay, so what even with that, so be? there was a poll that, that I posted on Twitter. So, we got a whole ton of positive response that we've been doing summer flops, and they, they gave us so much love. We are doing an extra, extra episode and I, i'm not afraid to say what it is right now we are doing the iron giant Ooh. and everyone with the exception of lee is in this room right now who's going to be on that one <laughs> sorry it's all right i got to see Titan instead but you also got to see buckaroo bonsai that's true so until next time i'm scott curlin i'm lee martin I'm cool. Bye. Bye. Uh-huh.